Hey, and welcome to 1000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark. So glad you're here today. Thanks for listening. Um, so I'm a singer-songwriter and a storyteller, and um, these are things I've just done in one shape or form I kind of my whole life. But it took me well into adulthood to begin to feel okay about being an artist. Um, I fought with so much insecurity about it over the years. I, I mean, it didn't feel like practical enough. Uh, it's never made very much money to justify the time or the work that I was putting into it. And then, and then you've got this this thing that would always happen at uh, you know you're at a get together and and somebody you've just met will say, uh, "Oh, so what do you do?" And then I'll say, "Like, oh, well, I'm a singer songwriter." And they'll say, "Oh, interesting." But I mean, like, what do you actually do? <laughs> and that always feels so uh, kind of miserable. But don't worry, this is. This is not an episode about uh, just feeling sorry for myself, but uh, I do think we live in a world that evaluates everything uh, by a drastically different economy than the one uh, that God's kingdom is built on. So, I mean, it's entirely reasonable then that when we live according to God's, quote, alien economy, it'll be weird. Um, But we have been called to be a peculiar people to live in the world, but in contrast to the world, so that the world might discover that another world exists, this world or this realm or this kingdom of God's way of doing things. Uh, Wendell Berry says in a poem that I'll end this episode with, he says, So, friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world work for nothing. Everyone has to deal with the practicalities of living in this world as it really is, but at the same time, we're called to cultivate and to protect by faith a reality that is much more real, a reality that will outlast this world's kingdoms and will show up their riches to have been fool's gold. But how do we do that? That's what I want to talk about in this week's episode, entitled, Being Beautifully Unuseful to God. Joseph Pieper says in one of my favorite little books that, quote, music, the fine arts, poetry, anything that festively raises up human existence and thereby constitutes its true riches, all derive their life from a hidden root. And this root is contemplation, which is turned toward God and the world so as to affirm them. End quote. The last few days, my brother and I have been having a conversation about the relationship between work and play, and I couldn't help but be drawn back again in my mind to Peeper's little book, Only the Lover Sings. In it, he offers a recovery of the word leisure, saying, It is not a passive concept, but rather a posture of deep engagement. Leisure takes work, but it isn't work. At least, we work at it 
for very different reasons than the ones that keep us at our day jobs. Our jobs have a pragmatic end in mind. For instance, we push this button so we get a paycheck. But leisure is not about practical ends. It's not about utility. It's about protecting and cultivating the things that make us whole and human. Pieper in the quote above calls these things humanity's, quote, true riches. And he says the way to get these true riches is by contemplation of God and the cosmos God has created. I'm calling this kind of contemplation a posture. Posture comes from the same root as position or pose. It means something like the direction that you are facing, the orientation of your whole self. So contrast that with practices, which are things we do, like push a button, or walk the dog, cook a meal, or do the laundry. Now, I'm not saying that postures are good and practices are bad, but it is true certain practices help to cultivate a certain posture. We had long meals together in my family growing up. When you'd sit down for dinner at night, you knew you'd be there two or three hours just visiting. That was a practice that shaped a posture in me. So that now, as an adult, I think of meals, if they're done right, as occasions not just to mechanically acquire sustenance, but as occasions for a kind of timelessness within time, to face each other around a table. Yes, of course, we'd cover the practicality of eating food, but the meal extended far beyond utility as we'd linger in conversation. I remember someone saying once that when John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that the word behold means more than biological seeing. It carries within it the sense of spiritual perception. To behold is not merely to see something, but to see into it. In George MacDonald's The Princess and Curtie, the little boy Curtie kills a pigeon and then is overcome by remorse. Curdie's heart began to grow very large in his bosom. What could it mean? It was nothing but a pigeon. And why should he not kill a pigeon? But the fact was that not until this very moment had he ever known what a pigeon was. Curdie takes the pigeon to a sort of fairy godmother, the mistress of the silver moon, and repents. The pigeon had been one of her special creatures. The godmother heals the stricken bird and forgives Curdie for carelessly shooting it with an arrow, saying, Therefore I say, for you, that when you shot that arrow, you did not know what a pigeon is. Now that you do know, you are sorry. It is very dangerous to do things you don't know about. Curdie had seen pigeons, but he had never beheld what a pigeon really is. John the Baptist beheld Jesus and invites us to truly behold Jesus too, like Peter did when he said, You are the Messiah, the Holy One of God.
Pieper says that cultivating a posture of beholding is necessary if we are to pick up on humanity's true riches, and he suggests that certain practices can get you there, and others will make it harder to get there. The last five years, I've learned that my practice of complaining costs me the sensitivity needed to maintain a posture of gratitude toward life. If family meals were a helpful practice in our family growing up, complaining was an itch I learned to enjoy scratching. But that has created a callousness towards joy that God is just recently healing in me. The practice of ingratitude produces the same gross pleasure and the same delay of healing as picking at a scab or scratching a rash. Similarly, Ephesians 4, 17-24 talks about the practice of sensuality, costing people their sensitivity. Some practices shape in us a posture of numbness insensitivity, and in turn we can slowly forfeit our humanity. Other practices cultivate in us a posture that is open and sensitive to goodness, truth, and beauty. Songwriting is, for me, a gift and a practice that cultivates beholding and protects those sensitivities Peeper calls true riches. Still, as an artist, I've found myself over the years constantly striving to justify, to myself mostly, the value of what I understand my calling to be. It's true that making a living as a singer-songwriter is next to impossible, even harder since music at this point in history is an essentially free commodity. It costs somewhere between $15,000 to $20,000 for me to make an album which will be available on Spotify for free. So how to make sense of the pursuit? It doesn't add up, does it? It really doesn't, unless the pursuit is grounded in a system of value that is not of this world. Like Pieper says, music is among those things that raise up human existence and thereby constitute its true riches. But the true riches are stored up in heaven, where no thief can steal and no moth or rust can destroy. The calling to create art may participate in temporal economies, but it does not originate from within them, nor does it play by the same rules. The reason for this is, I believe, that it is a calling to open up an alternate vista, a view onto a kingdom whose lifeblood is not industry, utility, or market viability. Andy Crouch makes this point in his essay, The Gospel, in the book For the Beauty of the Church, asking, Who will be the people who will champion that which is not useful? Ours is the age of the economist and the evolutionary biologist, each of whom have gotten very busy explaining why everything we thought was particularly human is actually just useful. Religion turns out to be economically and evolutionarily 
useful. Charity and generosity, useful. Sex, useful. Merely useful. Once you have lost the idea that the world is a gift, all any of it is, is useful. And then eventually, this is all you can make of human beings. Useful. Crouch ends his essay saying that the calling of not just the Christian artist, but of the Christian, is to, quote, rekindle our capacity to be beautifully unuseful to God. I penciled in a margin note the last time I read Crouch's essay to remind myself of what I am called to as an artist and a follower of Jesus. Part of the responsibility of an artist is to disagree with the world's ways of attributing value, to defy that value system, and to cultivate a system, now I might say posture, that is truly in harmony with God's way of understanding what is valuable. What practices do we engage in? And what postures are being formed in us? How can we cultivate sensitivity to the ways of God? And how can we make manifest in this world God's beautifully contrary economy? I think these questions have something to do with Jesus' prayer to His Father and ours. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before I close with a poem, I will say that the natural follow-up to this episode would be an episode about patronage. The reason I say that is because interdependence is a kingdom virtue that stands in peculiar contrast to our culture of individualism. Uh, I've, I've come to see raising support for the ministry that I do as a real way to fulfill the mission itself. Uh, um, I really think that raising support gives what I do a real participation in God's family-shaped economy and it helps that economy become visible in the world for other people. Um, so I would love to have you be a part of my ministry family as a patron partner. If you want to help me keep doing what I do, uh, would you partner with me as a patron? Um, I would love that. You can do that on my website. Just go to matthewclark.net slash partner for more information. Or you can email me matthewclarknet at gmail.com, and I would love to talk more about that with you. That'd be amazing. Um, So to close us out this week, I'd like to read a poem by Wendell Berry. Berry is not against practical work. He's a farmer himself, uh, but he is for cultivating a posture toward work in this world that protects and exalts the dignity of humans as God's image bearers and, um, and the creation as God's beautiful gift. Uh, honestly, Barry's work as a storyteller has been hugely healing and fruitful in my own life as I try to sow the seed of uh, what Pieper calls true riches. So this is uh, by Wendell Berry. It's called Manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Front. 
Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who doesn't deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance. For what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to Carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap for power, please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields. Lie easy in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox, who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice Resurrection That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check out my ministry partnership page if you'd like to support um, the work I do. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.